Ford Junior Church. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, if you don't have one, you can find one under a pew chair near you. Um, turn to Matthew chapter 18. We're going to be looking at verses 15 through 17. We're going to look at a whole lot of different scriptures. If um, you go, hey, I'm not following along or I want to learn more about this, all you need to do is email me. I will email you these uh, notes. I've got eight pages of notes. I'm going to cover a few of them um, because we are, um, have a limited amount of time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go rather quickly through an outline of how you deal with sin, problems, or issues. There is a right way, there is a biblical way, and there is also the wrong way. We live in a uh, time when people have a problem. Somebody does them wrong, you know what the first thing they do? Is they get on their Facebook account, they get on their Twitter account, and they say, so-and-so wronged me. And the whole world knows it, and they've never even dealt with it. The Bible says, wrong, wrong, wrong. According to the Bible, according to the uh, steps that we will see in Matthew chapter 18, there are a minimum of three steps that need to be carried out before anything becomes public. But this is Communion Sunday. So let's start with one that has nothing to do with Matthew chapter 18. Because if the first one is taken care of, the one I'm not going to preach on, and the one is going, we're going to be reminded of by the communion service, is you won't have to deal with this. Because it says that if you, have, if you claim to have trusted Christ as your Savior, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you are, to, you are to examine yourself to make sure that you're living a life worthy of what Jesus Christ has done for you. If you don't, it says you eat and drink judgment unto yourself. So here's the point. Is if you keep your life in fellowship with God and others personally. Nobody else is involved. It's just you obeying God, living by faith, doing what is right. Most of these things will never even be your happen to you. Because when we live in the light of what Christ has done, it completely changes our lives. So that's the main purpose for communion that we would personally examine our own lives so that we will be living in fellowship. But what happens when that doesn't happen? How do I deal with issues? How do I deal with someone else? I will tell you that there are biblical principles and there are steps. In some cases, the steps are very difficult to put into practice and you need to simply look at the principle and, and do the best you can. I'll, I'll give you an illustration or two in that. But by and large, this is talking about what most people call church discipline. It's never called that anywhere in the Bible, but that's the terp topic uh, that it falls under. But here are a few things. First of all, sin problems and issues are always dealt with at the lowest possible level. That's why putting something that somebody wronged you on Facebook is the last thing you should ever do. If you haven't confronted... I have people that literally have called me or walked up to me and said, You know, Paul, there's somebody at church that's living in sin. You need to do something about it. Notice that it's always, you need to do something about it. And I ask them one simple question. Have you confronted them? Have you talked to them about it? No. 
Tell you what, don't, don't think I'm unspiritual here, but you know what I say to them? If you have gone and you have tried to make this right and tried to get them to see the problem, and they just go, get out of my life, come back and talk to me. We'll go from there. But I'm not going to jump in. I know that doesn't sound very spiritual and it doesn't sound like what a pastor should do. But it's exactly what a pastor or anyone else should do. I've literally had people, you don't know these people, but I've had people email me, and in one case, and it happened a long time ago, is email me and said, there's a person in your congregation that's living in adultery. I didn't know who, where the email came from, and it was a vague email. I didn't know who it was. I now do, and I now know who the person was. But I emailed them back, and I said, look, I don't know who you are, and uh, if you haven't confronted them, and you're not even willing to give me your name, and they were not, I said, there's nothing I'm going to do about that. Now, the, the Holy Spirit worked, and eventually I knew who both parties were and all that kind of stuff, and it's all been dealt with. Because the person that was a member of Garden Chapel eventually came to me and said, Pastor Paul, I've got to apologize to you. I've been living in sin for the last couple of years, and I want you to know it. But there's no way I am going to go on second-hand information or unverified information. That will make me, in many cases, a false witness because... I'm acting like I know what happened, and I'm taking somebody else's word for it. Secondhand information is no information at all. But it has to be dealt with at the lowest level. So if you have a problem, there's sin in your brother's life, your sister's life, you need to confront them. You go, that's scary. You're right, that's scary. But I'm going to show you why it's absolutely important also. Because there's a verse in the Bible that makes it very clear why to do that. But we're, we're not there yet. Second is you only need to deal with facts. Anytime you try to confront something or deal with something that's on rumor or gossip or innuendo or I think so, you're going to land up with egg in your face and a whole omelet at that because it's going to backfire on you. The second thing is whenever you deal with these things, you need to deal with it with a end result in mind. The end result is restoration. We're going to see that verse also. Because the end goal is always that that person would be restored, forgiven, whatever needs to be taken care of would. It's never for vengeance. It's never, I'm going to get my anger out at you. I'm going to make you pay. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Not you. Not you. That's the way it works. And I will also tell you that this doesn't necessarily deal with the natural consequences. All sin, issues, and problems, and a lot of times there's sin attached to them, they have their own natural consequences. Those are things that happened regardless of what takes place. For example, if I got angry one day and I beat somebody up, by the way, I have not done this, so don't, don't fret here. But if I beat somebody up and then... Joe comes and says, Paul, I saw you do that. And I go, oh, man, I was wrong. And I confess it and, and I make it all good. You know what? And if I permanently harm that person, you know what? They're not going to get the use of their arm back or whatever was permanently harmed. It's not gonna, there are natural consequences of sin. So understand, this doesn't simply wipe everything. And it's like, oh, everything is nice. It doesn't work that way. Sin absolutely has consequences. There are people that think, I'll just do whatever I want, and then I'll confess it, and, and it'll be all over. You are not living in, in real life. You're living in a la-la land someplace. But anyway, 
The point is, this, I wish this was something I had very little personal experience with. Unfortunately, I've got way too much um, experience. It goes across the board that we need to um, deal with these things. A couple of introductory principles, and I'm going to go over these very quickly. This is never personal. I already kind of mentioned that it's, it's not done out of prejudice. It's not subjective feeling. It's always done for the welfare of the person, the welfare of the church, the welfare of the world. It's always done with a positive outcome for the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, you do all to the glory of God. That includes this. Remember, all to the glory of God. Not just some things all to the glory of God. That's always the end result that we want. In fact, is in 2 Timothy chapter 2, it says, correcting those who are in opposition with gentleness. You'll find that in verse 22. and uh, I'm, I'm sorry, in verse 25 of, of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Also, whatever you do, if you need to, someone has offended you, someone you know that's a, a, a brother, could be a neighbor that's got himself in trouble. Whatever it is, Proceed with caution. So many times we say, well, I'm pretty sure that's what happened. Notice what I said, pretty sure. <laughs> because one of the ways you can do this to deal with it is ask questions. Hey, look, this, something doesn't look right here. What's going on? I've done that many times because I'm not sure exactly what's going on. But I still need to deal with, I need to do something. But proceed with caution. And here's a second reason to proceed with caution. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. The next verse says, Bear one another's burdens and fulfill the law of Christ. And it ends with this, Each one must examine his own work. You see, if you see someone else who has done something wrong and you choose to confront them and you're not right with the Lord, here's what's going to happen. Satan's going to come along and say, look how superior you are. And you are going to act just in a very unspiritual way because you're going to think you're all that, that you're better than them. Absolutely not. That is never it. You have to realize that you too could be tempted. As we say sometimes, that could be me. How would I want somebody to deal with me? That's the way you need to look at it. First of all, as I already mentioned, everything needs to be at the lowest possible level. Somebody said, is there a place, and people ask me this all the time, is there a place for Christians should never sue each other? That's not actually what the Bible says. But I will tell you that any time that it's out of the personal or the witnesses or the church, and it becomes legal, guess what? You are one tiny tooth in one gear in one huge machine, and they don't care. It is totally out of your, your realm at that point. I would tell you, the Bible is very clear. If there is something that cannot be solved, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we'll look at this when we preach through 1 Corinthians next year, is... Isn't there one wise person among you that can make judgments? You know, rather be defrauded, rather, rather be wronged than take these things before the unbeliever. 
it's a last thing you want to do uh, in, in almost any case I can think of. And so, uh, and it make sure that you don't make it worse than it is. One of the things that is really emphasized in the Old Testament, and the quotes that we have in the New Testament come from this passage, is this. That if someone is a false witness, remember the Ten Commandments, verse 16 of Exodus 20? Thou shalt not bear false witness. Now that's all it says, it says just don't do it. That is, don't testify under oath that something that's false. There's a reason for it, because in Deuteronomy chapter 19, it goes on to say, if you're a false witness, here's the result. It's called perjury in law today. If you tell a lie about somebody to get them in trouble, to accuse them, whatever should have happened to them, if they had actually done that, should happen to you. And I'm going to quote you a verse that all of you are going to recognize, and you think it's because, well, somebody did out, went out and then... Uh, they committed murder, so they deserve the death penalty. By the way, the verse will fit that. But that's not exactly the context. It includes that. But after saying, if you're a false witness, what you wanted to happen should happen to you, here's what it says. Thus you shall not show pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. You know what? What it comes down to is this. Whether... You committed, and under the law, that's the way it was. But if you perjured yourself, you were a false witness. You're in big trouble, because when you're found out, a witness will look at what a witness is here in a moment. So let's look at the template, and i got to do this rather quickly, but let's look at the template that's given in the New Testament. There are four distinct steps. Three of them, only a very, very limited amount of people know anything about. Only the fourth step is the one where everybody knows what's going on. So let's look at it. Step one, Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. And if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you'll won your brother. So here's what it comes to. How many people were involved? Two, and only two people. You and the person that you saw sin, or the person that offended you, or the person that, whatever, whatever it is. Only two people. You know what was going on. You have first-hand information. It says, go and reprove him. Reprove simply has to do with expose it and, you know, bring it to light. And uh, it is, by the way, the word go is not, well, if you think so, maybe it might be a good idea. That's imperative, which means it is a command or an obligation that you have as a Christian. Yeah, but I don't want to do it. That's scary. I'm afraid. Somebody asked me, are you afraid when you do this? Don't ask me. I'm going to put my hand up. Because this is scary stuff. It really is. But it's biblical scary stuff. That's why we need to live by faith. Not the only reason, but there's one reason you need to live by faith. Because God asks us to do some very, very, very hard things. And they're never fun. And yes, they are scary. But it says, go and reprove. Do it. There's another verse that gives us the reason why we would do that. It's in Luke chapter 17. And if you write in your Bible, I just put Luke chapter 17, verse 3 there. Because this one gives you... The reason why God has no problem giving a command or an obligation. 
And most people don't see this. The first time they hear me talk about this, they go, you are crazy in the head. That is no way that I just challenge you. Go look it up in any Bible dictionary. Go look it up. You can find it for yourself. It's simply this. Verse, verse um, 3 of Luke 17. Be on your guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. Now, the word rebuke looks like you get in their face and shake your finger and say, you did it, you're scum, you know, that kind of thing. No, that's not it at all. The word rebuke comes from the root to honor or to value. You see, here's what it comes down to. Is if a brother or a neighbor or a coworker or whatever, if you care about that person, if you love them, you want the best for them, you consider them valuable, you want to honor them, you will go out of your way and confront them with that. You see, if I don't, you're acting like, I really don't care. I hope they get themselves in more trouble. But if you want the best for them, you care at all, you honor, value them, you're going to help them. Remember, the end result here is not busting their chops. It's not pounding them down. It's not making them pay. It is... To help them. That's the bottom line. It's, it's an act of love. I didn't say it's an easy one. But it's an act of love. But again, nobody else knows about it. Only two people know about it. I will tell you, I told you there are a few things that are really hard to stick in this. For example, if somebody, and this happened, somebody came to me and said, I'm being sexually harassed by my boss. I never tell them. I tell them they need to confront the boss personally. But I said, you don't go by yourself. Because I would, or if there, let's say it was violence of some sort, I would never include that. Not the other person's going on as backup, just to make sure everything is above board. You know, and I've done that. I've said, well, who would you trust to take with you? I, this is an actual case. Who would you take? Well, it would be either you, Pastor Paul, or my mother. They can choose whichever one they want. <laughs> you know what? Just to be there to make sure that everything is above board. It's not easy. There would be three people involved there. I told you some of these things are really difficult to deal with. But anyway, that's the way I would approach that. I'm just telling you that you can disagree with that last part if you want. But I'm telling you, I would not put somebody back in a dangerous situation. Number two, step two, is that you take other witnesses. Look at what it actually says. But if, see it never goes to this one. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. Notice the verbiage that's used there. This is a quote from the Old Testament that two or three witnesses, every fact be confirmed, comes from the Old Testament. Simply this, if someone is a witness, they have first-hand information. You are not taking your friends with who will back you up. I had to deal with something recently and somebody told me, I'm here to defend that person. I said, no, that's not why I'm here. I'm here for truth. All I care about is truth. I'm not defending anyone. I want to know that things are right. And that's where this is. A witness is a first-hand information. It has first-hand information. The word is translated other places in the New Testament as the word martyr. A martyr who someone is, is saying, this is what happened. There is no plan B. There's no alternative explanation. I was there. I know exactly what happened. 
and uh, I can val- validate it. In other words, a witness needs to be someone that has verifiable information. How do I know that? Because if you're a false witness, you're found to be a false witness, you're in big trouble. Okay, that's, that's what the Old Testament, and that's where this quote comes from. But it says, every fact needs to be confirmed. As I mentioned uh, in the past, that uh, even the Ten Commandments say, thou shalt not bear false witness. So if you're confronting somebody with information that is secondhand or innuendo or you think so or you might have seen or you might have heard or you're not quite sure, guess what? You're out of order and you can find yourself in big trouble with God and with other people, of course. And then it goes on. The third step is this. It says, well, I'll just read it. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Now, there are those that say, there's only one step here. But I know what the rest of the verse says. And if he won't listen to the church, then let him be as a Gentile or tax gatherer. That's public. The church, I believe, is talking very specifically to the leaders of the church. In our case, that would be elders. It it might be, let's say it's something that happens in an organization and you're a part of it and somebody does something that's just totally out of whack might be the officers of, the, of that or whatever. In a community, it could be somebody who's a known leader or whatever else. Somebody who no longer is a witness. It's now by principle. See, things have come to Garden Chapel to the elders. I'm not a witness, neither are any of the elders. But we deal with it from the position that we know what the Bible says. It's dealt with by principle. The Old Testament puts it this way. If there was a dispute between two people and they couldn't get it straightened out, and there were plenty of other things, and I told you, this is the shortest version you're ever going to find, is they would take it to the priests and the judges, and they would investigate and then decide. You see, at that point, they're not witnesses, but they have to investigate to verify what is going on. What is the problem? Were they really at fault or weren't they? Is it sin? Or was it a misunderstanding? Is it an issue that needs to be dealt with or who cares? That's by principle. Let's face it. If somebody wrongs me, it's a big deal. But if I do that to you, ah, I, I, you know, stepped on their toe a little bit. It's amazing how <laughs> perspective changes. But the truth doesn't. That's the whole thing. This all is based on truth. It's not emotion. It's not personalized. It's none of those things. And so uh, we need to be very careful. If he refuses to listen to those, and they're dealing with it now from principle. Now notice, again, this is still not public. This is eyewitnesses. And now it's people who are in authority. And I believe when we talk about church discipline, it's the elders. And it is still only the elders. The whole congregation doesn't even know about it. I get grief for that every now and then. It's like, well, how come we didn't know about that? Because you shouldn't have known about that. Because if you know about it, then somebody is talking when they shouldn't be talking. You may not like that. But it's the only way that's biblical. It's the only way that works. So anyway... By the way, you go, okay, so now we're at elders or somebody that's in authority, the spiritual leaders in the congregation or in a Christian organization. Uh, What about if they're the ones that are wrong? Oh, it covers that one too. 
In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 19 and following, it says this, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin rebuke so that the, uh, in the presence of all, so that the rest may also be fearful of sinning. In other words, no one, no matter what your position, doesn't matter if you're a pastor or an elder, doesn't matter what you are, doesn't matter if you think you're all that, it doesn't matter. Everybody has to be held to account. The Old Testament says, and, and uh, it was quoted to Paul that you're not to, or Paul quoted it to those that he had offended. He says, well, I know the Old Testament says you're not to speak evil of a leader, a ruler of the people. Well, that's true. But you know what? If they're wrong, they're wrong, and it needs to be dealt with. No ifs, ands, or buts. Most of you never know this, and you're never going to know why, but I was, actually, Pastor John and I were brought before the elders. Did I like it? Absolutely not. But you know what? It was the best thing that could have happened, because when it was done, it was over. Now, now you're all going, so what did he do that was all that bad? It's dealt with. It's over. If you ask me personally, I'll be glad to tell you, but, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is it was dealt with in a God-honoring way. That's all that matters. Probably shouldn't have used that illustration. Sorry, wipe that one out of your, your memory. Okay, but you know what? I, I, I despised doing that, and when it was over, I'm like, this is the best thing. The elders of Garden Chapel did exactly what they're supposed to do, and it's over. Dealt with. Okay, moving on. So then it says, if he refuses to listen to the church, this is step four, let him be as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. And you go, what in the world is that talking about? First of all, a Gentile is somebody they despised, and a tax gatherer is somebody they really hated because he was a Jew who was collecting taxes for the Roman government. Zacchaeus is the most famous one. Uh, you know, he's probably the most famous one that we know of. But anyway, they didn't like him. But it makes it very clear. Uh, in Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, reject a factious man after first and second warning. And 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and again, I will go over this in detail when we preach through 1 Corinthians. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, there was a man who was living in incest with his mother-in-law, and the church turned a blind eye to it, like it didn't exist. And the apostle Paul was steamed. And he said, if I was there, this is what I would do. You need to deal with this guy. You need to deal with him because you have become arrogant. You've become proud. And you're like, hey, we can tolerate this. We're okay. You know, it's like politically correct or something these days. You know, and, and he said, you know what? It gets down to if this person won't repent. He says, remove the wicked man from among yourselves. God will judge all the sinners on the outside, but you need to do your job. There is a place for making it public. I've only ever had to do that a few times. And I, I just want to give you the good end of the story. Five years after I stood up here with a totally dry mouth denouncing the congregation that somebody was a member and refused to repent and would not deal with sin at all. They got mad, of course. They left Garden Chapel. Five years later, I got a phone call. Pastor Paul, where did I go wrong? I want to live for the Lord. And I've been so far out of fellowship. You know what? You have to understand, 
That wasn't like, oh, well, you deserve your right. No, it's like, man, I have an opportunity to help this person move on. Remember, the end, end, end is to restore that person, to help that person, to get them back where they need to be. That's the bottom line. In fact is, we have that same type of scenario. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that man obviously had not immediately repented from what it looks like. But the Apostle Paul wrote back in 2 Corinthians, and he says that, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to quote here, I'm just going to give you the, the general. He says, sufficient for such a one is the punishment which was inflicted by the majority. Now it's time to forgive. It's time to comfort. And here's why. Okay, the person had obviously changed their mind. Verse, 10, or verse 11, it says, in order that no advantage be taken of us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. In fact, as the Apostle Paul had said, turn this person over to the Satan for the destruction of their flesh. And now he's saying, turn around and welcome them back. Welcome them back. Because he has suffered, he has repented. You don't go on. Because the end result is always restoration. That's, that's where it's supposed to be. Unfortunately, it doesn't happen very often. Praise the Lord, it does. It works. This works. It's not easy. It's not fun. It's scary. But you know what? The, as the elders gather uh, and the men gather for the communion, is we are here today, not so much about the sermon, even though that's all facts and that's all Bible and that's all good. But today, you now have a very personal, has nothing to do with anyone else, I'm going to pray in a moment, and if you know there is something that's not right in your life, confess it to God. And if it's something wrong against somebody else, tell God that when I leave here, I'm going to get on the phone, I'm going to visit them, I'm going to call them, I'm going to get it straightened out with that person. Because God wants us to live a life that's worthy. He wants us to live a holy life. Nobody else can force you to do that. But what he is asking us and he is telling us to do, examine your life. Get the lumps of sin out. If you're out of fellowship with God or you're out of fellowship with someone else, or you know you're just personally living in sin and miserable because of it, now's the time to confess that. As the elders and the men come forward, let's bow in a word of prayer. And uh, I'll give you a few moments of silence and then I'll close. And then we will come to the Lord's Supper. Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for our sins. Father, thank you for sending the Holy Spirit, who you said would convict the whole world of truth and righteousness and justice. Lord, I thank you that the Holy Spirit is doing his perfect work at this moment. I thank you that we are celebrating the perfect work of Christ. The Apostle Paul told us that we are to do this, and proclaim his death until he comes as we partake of the Lord's Supper. Lord, I thank you for working in our lives, for giving us a life that's worth living, a heaven that's worth looking forward to, and a peace that is beyond any other peace in this world because we know our sins are forgiven. 
Lord, thank you for this opportunity through Jesus Christ our Lord.